This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to my favorite murder. That's Georgia Hardstar. That's Karen Kilgariff. And the winds, they are a howling tonight. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen. They are blowing loudly. It, I, I was too scared to drive over to Karen's because we're in California. I'm not used to any kind of weather. As we Especially said. not a tornado. A fucking tornado came through or LA. hurricane yeah. slash hurricane slash monsoon. We're not... We can't, we're not meteorologists. We can't tell you what exactly it is. What we know is it's insane. Maybe we should get more wind audio. Should I open the window? I have a question. Yes. Is this earthquake weather? You know, what's funny? I thought the exact same thing. Because here's why. There's a very strange marine layer in the valley. Yeah. It then began to look like a sandstorm. Yeah. Then everything turned kind of <gasps> orange for a while. And I was like, oh, that's not good. No, like, no. That's something weird. What about the so, first, my favorite murder earthquake that happened while we were recording? I, you know what? what? We've gone through fire. We've gone through <laughs> rain. We've gone through every James Taylor song you could ever deal with. <laughs> we can handle this shit. We can. Well, I talked, I've always like, we're, you know, are we late for the big one? And I actually spoke to an earthquake scientist recently who was like, we're always overdue for the big one. Yes. Just like that. And big the big one, the caldera in Yellowstone is supposed to blow. Oh, is it? There's lots of, you know, and also remember that those people, the geologists and the people that study that stuff, uh-huh. they look at everything on like the longest timeline. Yeah. So they're like, we're overdue, but they mean like in the next thousand years. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what I like to remind myself is they, they everything is by a thousand to them. They totally. Don't, they don't deal with time the way we do. That's true. It's all a mystery. This universe. Mysterious. But you never know. Don't That's ever know. That's why you you have to send that text. You also Go ahead. You always have to be text holding him. on to something. That's because you never know. And you always have to um, screw stuff to the wall. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Put your plants on little sticky things. And I mean, seriously, right now, just outside my win- my window, it sounds like a spooky Halloween record. <laughs> oh, it's spooky Halloween again. It's spooky <laughs> Halloween. And it's happening outside our door. Yeah, it's true. Let's this should be a weather podcast. <laughs> I disagree with those who say this is bad content. They're always saying don't do it, guys. The, the death of your podcast is talking about weather. And we say to them. Go to hell. Fuck. You don't know our meteorologist's soul. That's right. Can I, speaking of mysterious, creepy, weird things, mm. have you been following this like case of this family who mm-hmm. died mysteriously? Yep. yep. 
all together. What the fuck in Yosemite, in the mountains? right? So mm-hmm. this like family of this like lovely couple and their like one year old baby and their fucking family dog were found dead in the Devil's Gulch area of the Merced River in the Sierra National Forest. Like right. just all together, right? And I'm telling you this, even though you said, you know, maybe other people don't know. Oh, OK. Because your tone was also writing the line perfectly of asking or telling. I couldn't tell. You know what it was? So I was just waiting to see. It was reading. I oh, was reading, reading I it. <laughs> Should recognize that by now. Um, Ouch. <laughs> no, it wasn't supposed to be a slam. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so they, they have not ruled out toxic algal blooms. Algae blooms? But it's like. Now, it's not algae. It's like algal, it says. So, there, but all these other like toxicology reports and like all these like, hold on, it could be extreme heat that they all just like collapsed together and died. So, like, but I don't know if they like were in the water or drank the water, ruled out chemical hazards and any other kind of death. Like, it's so mysterious to me. Sorry. And they did rule out the, I thought they did rule out the like micro uh, toxins and algae thing. I think I there's, I read a thing about that. There's one, as, as of this article from the SF gate from well, September 30th, they didn't rule out from a week ago. They didn't rule out this one kind of algae thing. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, and I think man. the other thing I was reading was like, because they're in mining country, that there's the possibility that some mine had a gas, some kind of a gas right. type of thing. But and I have to say that this is it's scary, right? Because, of course, the first things you think of are all extreme or, yeah. you know, was it intentional or whatever? But then it also it's equally scary to think about the different ways nature can cause. Oh, that. yeah. So many ways. Yeah. It's fascinating. I don't feel like this family would have all drank the water in the river. Like, that's not your first thing is like, unless it was like, it was like 109 degrees, maybe, and they ran out of water, which means the parents, the dog and the baby had to drink the water. Right. Which seems weird. Or if they had one of those things that they thought was like a water filtration system, right. but it did, they didn't put the charcoal in or they didn't, it didn't work somehow. It didn't work against this one thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where they're thinking this is what we usually do. And somehow right. it doesn't happen. Whenever I hear about that, of like the, this kid who was swimming in this lake, this fucking parasite went right up his nose and the brain eating parasite or when you use a neti pot and they're like, don't use tap water. <laughs> because it'll just go right in your brain it's that shit scares the hell out of me that stuff black mold all that shit scares the fucking life out of me well take a deep breath because it's all around us (laughs) and and also that's the kind of thing where i think that's why people began to believe in like fate and destiny and stuff like that Uh, because it counteracts that overwhelming fear of life is a random series of events that you may or may not die from yeah and that's just kind of like the bottom terror that everybody is either completely running away from and like blocking out or somehow trying to face or somehow incorporate so that they live their lives better right and more aware (laughs) so hence therapy and medication for me yeah I just pictured right as I was finishing that sentence uh-huh. that I, just half a tree would just come <laughs> bolting through this window. You really slowed down at pr- the end of that. Prove you know, my point. Well, what would mine be? Oh, no. <laughs> Jump in on this. There's no 
you're As like you're no, telling you. everyone to let go and let god a fucking whole tree comes right through your goddamn window life is a series of tragedies it just is it just is okay. deal with it okay we all have to face it okay sorry i'm yelling no you're not speaking of fucking what about squid games Tra- oh. speaking of tragedy finish the shit out of it we could talk of about course, it now isn't it amazing oh my god yeah did you do dubbing or did you do subtitles? We did subtitles. We were like okay. debating it. I know you did dubbing. I thought we thought let's just try subtitles first and see if we can handle it. I really like stuff with subtitles for some reason. It like it like relaxes me and yep. I'm paying attention instead of like drifting off and thinking about trees coming through my window. <laughs> I can actually pay attention to something. Oh, that wasn't my original idea. You've been thinking about that all day. I mean, I the think second of, the wind kicked up. Yeah, I think of of different variations of trees coming through windows at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, agree. And then, so my first impression, because of the pink and the green, and it looked like a video game or whatever, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't think that'll interest me because I don't play video games. Right. And I heard people are like on social media talking about how violent it is. Yeah. I don't think this is for me. But then, of course, as it always happens, a friend of mine whose opinion I really respect was like, you have to start it right now. Yeah. I will wait for you. Whatever. And the writing is so good. The story is so the great. Acting it is, is amazing. Oh, We're it's talking just about like, the Korean TV show on Netflix, everyone, called Squid Games. They know because it's the number one it's in like huge. the world. It's it, huge. It's so violent, but I never got like out of control, freaked out by it. Vince didn't I just know anything about it when we started it. So that first game that they play. Oh. Yeah. It was like, duh, duh, duh. like just thinking it was just some drama or whatever. And then it was like or video game type of thing. And then he was when I should I can I spoil? Everyone knows what uh, the premise is. I don't know if everyone okay. I mean it feels like everyone's yeah. watching it, right? If it's number one right. globally. The game the games that they have to get through, you die if you lose. So the first time someone gets shot, he was like, Oh, wait a second, this is not what I fucking thought it was. Yes. Which is fun to watch him. That yeah, over like junior mints or whatever. He was just like <laughs> frozen junior mints. We already have Halloween candy in the house. It's as shocking as it is. And people want to talk about the violence. But if you if that's some reason why you would stop, then just like go through the violent parts or whatever. But watch the actual story because yeah. it, the story it's telling is really good and and so worthwhile. Can we talk about how 101 is pretty hot? His name is which one is that? The hot scary, the snake guy, the hot scary snake guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, the guy, the guy with the tattoo on his face that's just like, ah, ha, ha, hot, I'm gonna take your place. Hot scary snake neck tattoo guy. <laughs> snake neck is like, and then I looked him up on Instagram, and it's like, oh shit, like you're actually a really hot person. Where is he? Okay, his name is um, Hyo Sung Tae. And he's like a big actor in Korea, in yeah. South Korea, of course. But like, yeah. he's like fucking model sexy in real life. <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. It's a great look. And I think that's a, a neck tattoo been. is a great look. A neck tattoo is a great look. Being super bossy in the middle of a basically a group <laughs> a Russian roulette. Yeah. That's hot. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, I'm an alpha. This horrifying situation <laughs> we're all in. Yeah. It, it, I'm going to make you scared feeling. of me, even though you might die in the next yeah. game. I'm Don't the one. About the game. I'm going to kill that's you. Right. Like, that's 
Awesome. Thank you, sir. You step up, you fill that gap. We're all distracted. We hate you. We can unite against you. Yeah. However, it's great. Pretty fucking hot. Also, what about the guy? We were calling it a slap envelope because we couldn't figure out what to call the initial game. (laughs) Slap envelope. Yeah. But the guy that does slap envelope is an actor who is also in an amazing zombie movie called last. uh, It's called train to Busan. Oh, and if you haven't watched it, you have to because it's Truly great, a truly great, scary, insane action movie. And that actor, Slap Envelope, is in that. (laughs) And he is the most beautiful man where you're just like, this is kind of insane. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, they're doing it. They're I, doing it. I love global entertainment. That's what I've always been about. You know that. I do know that. Did you watch any of Made? I watched the first episode. Okay, so the show Made, M-A-I-D on Netflix. How beautiful is it? The the first episode was good. Margaret Qualley, who's the oh. main actress in the show made that I fucking cried the entire time. It was incredible. Her mom is Andy McDowell and her mom plays her, her mom. You know what I'm saying? You know what yes. I'm saying? Uh, it was so incredible. It was like just this beautiful story that was so tragic and sad and hopeful and all the things. How many episodes are there? I think 10. Oh, I got through it in like 24 hours. I liked it so much. It was really good, but the not to spoiler alert. So ignore this if you don't. I'm just going to refer to a thing, but it's a type of show where someone has mounting problems. Yes. Then I'm sitting on the couch. Now I have mounting problems. Like I cannot separate my nervous system from like, now we have to do something about this. And so when she was doing things that I was like, that's not going to stressing me so bad. So I really loved how they did that because it it hooked you. Yeah. We're just right in this like gut punch feeling with her. Yeah. It's about a young woman who leaves an abusive relationship with her three year old daughter and has to make it through the fucked up system to try to make a life for herself and her daughter. And it's the whole way through. It's like that where it's just like roadblock after roadblock of like her trying to make her way it's a true story too so the whole time you're like and and yeah it definitely hits really hard especially if you ever have been in a position you know where you don't have money yeah being broke and not knowing how you're going to get through the next month yeah but it's so beautifully done and of course at the end you know she triumphs so What? It's Come a on. memoir. You can't have a memoir that's like a bummer at the end. <laughs> She's like, I'm writing this to you from jail. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I was going to say, so I watched the first episode, then got super stressed out yes, and then stressful. was like, it's OK. I paid my bills last month. <laughs> um, and then I was like, I need to watch a comedy, which I find myself doing all the time, yeah. now, which which is the exact opposite of when quarantine began. And I could not could not stay with a comedy. Oh. It all had to be like okay. post-apocalyptic, yeah. end of the world, like crazy shit. Like be where I am now, please. Yes, please. So I switch off made, which I really did like yeah. and will and will finish. I get it. It's not you have to be in a certain mindset and place in your life where you can watch it. It's hard. Yeah. Well, and also because something I had to do something, whatever it was, so I couldn't binge it. It was right. like, oh, I'm only going to get this one in. Yeah. Um, but I would have if I could have just powered through. Yes. So what I switched to just to change that feeling in my stomach, I found the show that that's come up almost every time I've gone on Netflix. And then I just looked at it and go, oh, it's just it's a comedy. I probably won't like it because it's called Working Moms. This is a Canadian show. I talked by about a woman this named- before. 
Catherine Reitman. Yes. And it is, I can't believe how funny it is, but it's really like, it's in your face from the second it starts. I love and, it. Because I was like, oh, it's mom stuff. So I won't, right. I won't relate or whatever. And it's so well written. It and it's, the people in it are so compelling and real. You know yeah. Ugh. I love so, it so it's much. It's so funny. I watched the first season. I think now there's a second season out, right? Which is why it's like. Oh, there's, in. I think, four seasons. Oh, out. shit. Okay. I yeah. fucking loved it when it first came out. I haven't seen it recently. I'll watch it. I'm so sorry I didn't remember you saying it because it was like literally two years ago. I stumbled on it and was just like, wait a second. This is fucking genius. And there's a scene, one of the, so they all meet in a, like a mommy and me group. Yeah. So it's all these women that have like one year old children. And one of the women has really terrible postpartum and she just spends the rest of the episode kind of like, trying to kill herself here and there yeah is she the like super perfect blonde one that that pees her pants at the movie theater one time no she has curly hair okay i mean i i don't remember that part but okay. the, it's the lady with the big curly hair yeah uh, it's been so there long. was one scene where she has her face in the pool that i was laughing out loud so hard in my home and i was like this never happens yeah ah oh, it's not a good feeling yes so there's now there's a bunch of seasons to watch okay. and it's oh, it's really so good like it's really good Okay, quick, um, exactly right catch up just see so of all the latest and greatest news. This is some breaking news. So this week on Bananas, the Bananas boys had Mary Roach on. So oh. that's that's a nice crossover for uh, the Murderinos. If you haven't tried Bananas, you can go listen to one of your favorite authors talking on um, their latest episode. But they also, here's some pressing information. They have a mini tour that they're about to go out onto. So if you want to see the Banana Boys doing a live podcast, follow them on Instagram at the Bananas Podcast. And you can get their tour dates, locations and um, info about an upcoming live streaming event. And then Wicked Words, Kate Brinkler-Dawson interviews the author Dean King about Notorious Family Feud, the Hatfields and the McCoys. So check that out. And then also make sure, pretty please, to follow Exactly Right on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for updates on all our awesome podcasts. We are excited that the very first episode of our new Exactly Right family podcast, Waiting for Impact, hosted by Dave Holmes, is up. It's live. Please go rate, review, subscribe, and of course, listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to listen to it on Stitcher Premium and listen to all 10 at one time, um, you can do that if you belong to Stitcher Premium and you can use the code IMPACT to get it free for a month so you can try it out and you can get all your uh, shows ad free and bingeable and special content and all that stuff. Check that out. Check it out. Come on, guys. Okay. Wait. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's our it's our brand new segment. Random Wikipedia article. So here's I thought of this as I was printing up. So I hit my first article. I my I hit random yeah. on Wikipedia, which maybe some people don't know. We all use Wikipedia every day, sure. ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever given them five dollars for the use and all the information it provides you? You should go give them some money, support them so that we always have that uh, community information service that a bunch of eighth graders work on <laughs> all the time. We appreciate it. So one of the buttons you can push on the website is random article and it literally will bring 
bring up a random article and teach you something brand new. So to make it truly random, so you don't think that I print, I picked this or yeah. went through and hit random article until I found a good one, I printed up five random articles. Oh. So now you're going to pick, Georgia, oh a number God. between ah! one and five. Don't blow it. <laughs> you have to pick a number between one and five, and I will choose the article of of the okay. proper number. Okay, I'm sweating right now because I'm so nervous. Number, I'm going to pick two. You're going to pick article number two. Yeah. Good choice. Here's showing it to you on the Zoom. It's article number okay, two. Okay, there's definitely a two on it. She's not bluffing. And it's a nice short one. There was one that was five pages long. No, we don't if, want that. If you had picked number one. Okay. Okay, this article, today's random Wikipedia article, is about a person named Alberto Jimenez Marino, born September 25th, 1959. Uh -huh. He is a Mexican politician affiliated with the Institutional Revolutionary Party. Uh -huh. As of 2014, he served as deputy of the LIX legislature. Perhaps <laughs> that means like 63 or something. Sure. No. The legislature of the Mexican Congress representing Puebla. That's the entire article. Wow. That's him, Alberto Jimenez Merino. We learned something new. What's the most interesting, the one that you found the most interesting? That you were like, the most like, whoa, this is a cool one. Was there There any? was one about the, I think it was the 42nd or the 45th district in Michigan. Uh huh. And it was all the people who were like district representatives or something. I don't know. That was the most interesting one. Well, I mean, it wasn't, the pick wasn't great because here's the thing. Most information is pretty standard. It's just like, here's your. Yeah. Where is it? Where's the, is it on the left? Yeah. Why don't I see it? It's down. Like there's a couple blue lines that are like this, that, blah, blah, blah. Oh. It's like the third or fourth one. Down. Oh, random, random article. Random article. Got it. Hit one. Okay. What do you got? Stanley Switlick, a parachute yeah. pioneer <gasps> born in 1890 in Galica now part of Poland. He immigrated to the United States at the age of 16, and he... So he was a parachute pioneer. So, like, he developed workable parachutes? Uh, at the turn of the century? I guess so. Something about Six Flags Great Adventure in Jackson, New Jersey, and uh -uh. controversy, what? how what? he sold the property to them. And it, it, but it was haunted. It was going to be... <laughs> it was haunted with parachuters. <laughs> I saw this one on Scooby Doo. Uh, yeah, his legacy is that there's a elementary school named after him in Florida called Parachute Valley <laughs> Elementary, and the kids parachute into class every day. <laughs> I have to say, in grammar school, this is such. I was in Montessori first through third mm. combo class, Brag. and we had a uh, like a green parachute that like 50 kids. If you oh. all put it up at the same time and you yeah. put it behind you, and then you're inside the parachute. Yes, that, that was some exciting stuff. That's a classic. School. That's a classic Montessori thing. Seventies, yes, eighties like kind of. We'll make our own fun. You know, I think, everybody. I keep <laughs> hitting it. Natural peanut butter. <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? No, I think what it turns out is that it's kind of boring. You're boring. Oh, Why did I say that? I don't know because you had to because it was right there. I'm so sorry that I interrupted you for random Wikipedia article corner, but it had it had potential to be magical. I like the idea of it. Oops. Uh oh. Oops. I did muted I myself. Uh, oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was like the wind took her. The wind took her away. It Wait, has the potential to be magic. What if next week you do? Okay. What if next week you pick some? Okay. Okay. I might, and then we'll see. I might cheat, but yeah. Okay. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. So, as you know, Karen, today, October 11th, is Indigenous Peoples Day. So I yes. thought it'd be great to cover a couple cases of missing and murdered indigenous women that don't haven't gotten a lot of media coverage. Great. So the sources I use today are a Guardian article written by Hallie Golden, which I used heavily, an independent two-spirit media video, an article for The Lily by Cecilia Noel, a CBC article written by Marnie Luke and Connie Walker, a Fox 13 article written by Laura Steinbricher, and a Navajo Times article written by Arlissa Basenti, and a SikangyuCDC.org article. And also, Murder Squad covered Amber Takaro's case back in May of 2020. So check that out if you're interested. Okay, so there's been a lot of talk lately about how missing and murdered Indigenous women don't get the same amount of media attention as those 
of white women. And this isn't based on opinion or conjecture. In 2018, a study found that 90% of cases of missing and murdered indigenous women were never covered by national or international media. And a third of the stories that were covered included language that engages in racism, misogyny, and stereotyping. So according to the Urban Indian Health Institute, in 2016, the National Crime Information Center said that there were 5,712 reports of missing Indian and Alaskan Native women and girls, but only 116 were logged in the Department of Justice's Federal Missing Persons Database. Out of se- almost 7,000. Almost 6,000, there were only 116 logged. Wow. Indigenous women are murdered at a rate 10 times higher than the national average, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. And homicide is one of the leading causes of death for young indigenous women. And for white, young white women, it's like number five and higher. So number one for indigenous women. One in three Native women report having been raped and 86 percent of the offenses are committed by non-Native men. Mm. And so and I think I read about how a lot of it has to do with the fact that like they're in these areas where there's a lot of like mining towns, fishing towns and places where there's a large population of like transient men that come in and yeah. that, ha- that, you know, adds to it. All right. So the first case I want to talk about is that of missing 17 year old Kiana Jacqueline Klomp from the Yakutat Tlingit tribe. I'm going to do my best. And I looked up all the pronunciations, but I, it's inevitable that I'm going to screw something up. So yeah. apologies. Will you say her full name again? Yes, it's K-I-A-N-A Jacqueline Klomp. So um, Kiana's mother, Terry Duchesne, told The Guardian that her daughter has been missing for a year and a half and there hasn't been a single article about her disappearance. And she's not exaggerating. As of this recording, there are no articles about Kiana. There's only missing person alerts that give Kiana's description and a brief summary of when she was last seen. So through those alerts and an interview with Terry, I was able to find that on March 22nd, 2020, Kiana's father dropped her off at work, who she worked at a Papa John's, and she and her dad had gotten into an argument. He leaves, and so Kiana decides to run away from home. Uh, At first, she stays with friends in Post Falls, Idaho, or in nearby Spokane, Washington, and then she starts staying with a man who her mom, Terry, describes as being a sexual predator. Kiana disappears after staying with this man and she hasn't been seen or heard from since. When Terry finds out that her daughter has been reported missing, she leaves her home in Alaska and heads to Post Falls. She speaks to the police who tell her they've done everything they can and that you can't find someone who doesn't want to be found. Not getting the help she needs from police, Terry reaches out to the media, but they don't respond and she feels, quote, left out and unimportant. Because Kiana's case received no mini attention, Terry spends months putting up flyers and posting on social media. And this is something that you see talked about and happen a lot in cases like Kiana's, where when law enforcement isn't interested in pursuing any case, it, the family and friends and tribe essentially become like private detectives themselves. And it's totally and completely up to them to keep the story of their missing loved one alive Otherwise, it would just fade into obscurity. No one would ever talk about it. And they call the detectives every day and every week. And if they didn't do that, there was just they would never be any follow up, any information given to them. So they have to become private detectives essentially on their own. So more than a year and a half later, Kiana still hasn't been found. And Terry is still desperate to find her daughter. Kiana loves skateboarding and shopping. And Terry wants Kiana's story to be shared. 
While the media often fails indigenous women and girls, the police do as well. In the United States, indigenous women and girls are 10 times more likely to be murdered than the national average. In Canada, they're 12 times more likely. Yet there are countless instances of police officers not responding to an indigenous woman's disappearance or murder in the same way they would a white woman's. 20-year-old Amber Alyssa Takaro from the Mikasu Cree First Nation is one of those women. On the 18th of August, 2010, Amber and her 14-month-old son, Jacob, and a female friend leave for Fort McMurray, Alberta, and head to Nixu, a hamlet outside of Edmonton. And they're going to visit Edmonton over the next few days and see friends. But they're staying in Nisku because it's way cheaper. So after settling in the motel, Amber decides to head into Edmonton on her own. She leaves her son with her friend and says she's going to hitchhike into the city. And she's known to have gotten into a vehicle between 730 and 8 with an unknown male. But Amber never comes back. Her friend notifies Amber's mom, Vivian, who reports her missing to the Luddock RCMP. And the police ask Vivian if Amber has ever gone missing before. Vivian says no. And the police just say maybe she's out partying um, and she'll call or whatever, like blow it off completely. Vivian's adamant that her daughter would never just run off and leave her son. But police completely downplay Amber's disappearance. They don't take it seriously. And less than three weeks later, on September 4th, a media relations officer with the Luddock RCMP tells a local newspaper, quote, we don't have any reason to believe Amber is in any danger. We know she's in the Edmonton area. So the next week, police take Amber off the missing persons list, even though no one has seen her. Mm. So they actually don't know what they just said. Police then destroy all of Amber's personal property that had been left behind at the motel, even though no one had fucking seen her. When Vivian asks why they took her off the list, um, even though no one's seen her, they don't have an answer. And Vivian spends the next month getting Amber back on the list. So almost two years later, Amber's case is being handled by RCMP's care unit, which investigates unsolved homicides and cases of vulnerable missing persons. Then on October uh, 28th and 2012, that care unit releases a recording of Amber's last phone conversation, because it turns out while she was in the car with whoever picked her up hitchhiking, um, her brother called her from prison, which means that the call was recorded. Mm. So the conversation lasted 17 minutes. The police released 61 seconds of it to see if anyone recognizes the man's voice. It's an unknown male. And in the short recording, you can hear Amber defensively questioning where the man is taking her. She's like, she can tell he's not taking her to Edmonton, even though he said he was going to. Mm -hmm. And it's on speaker. She's like, you know, yo, what? Like she goes, yo, we're not going to the city, are we? Like, where are you fucking taking me? I can tell this is not where we're going. He's like, no, no, we are. We're going to 50th Avenue, like trying to convince her they are. And she repeats the information he's giving her to her brother, but she can tell in her voice. There's fear in her voice. There's confusion. And there's kind of like this knowledge that something is not fucking right with this dude. Um, the last part of the call is unintelligible, but you can hear the man say something, something gravel. And then you hear scuffling noises before the call abruptly ends. It's fucking eerie. So after releasing the audio, police say that they believe the man actually drove southeast along 
the rural roads of Ludick County instead of north into Edmonton. And multiple women from the area contact police and say that they recognize the man's voice and they all give the name, uh, the same name of the man. Mm. Police look into this dude, but rule him out as a suspect, which to all the women who heard the voice and recognized it is totally surprising. So I don't know on what context they ruled him out. Then on September 1st, four days after the recording is released, Amber's remains are found on a rural property near Ludick County. And the 17 minute recorded conversation is almost the exact time someone would need to drive from the motel where Amber was staying to where her body was found. Oh, man. So it's just almost certain that whoever she was with and whosoever voices on that fucking recording murdered her. The Ledick RCMP admit that they mishandled Amber's disappearance. Amber's mother, Vivian, files a complaint against them. She says downplaying Amber's disappearance and taking her off the missing persons list hindered the homicide investigation. In 2015, the Ledick police tell the CBC that their policies and procedures have changed as a result of the Amber Takaro investigation. However, the person who killed Amber has still not been found mm. or arrested. Even if the police properly investigated missing and murdered indigenous women, they would still be hampered by lack of funding. According to the Navajo police chief, the recent case of missing 62-year-old Navajo woman Ella Mae Begay is a prime example of how budget issues can affect a case. On June 15, 2021, so this past June, Ella's truck is seen in the middle of the night driving down the Arizona dirt road she lives off of. Uh, later that day, Ella's family realizes... Ella and her truck still aren't home, and it's completely unlike Ella, who's a caregiver, a beloved elder and matriarch of the Diné Navajo tribe, and a talented master rug weaver. It's unlike her to leave in the middle of the night, and especially during COVID, which she took very seriously, she rarely leaves the house during the day even. So in the middle of the night for the 62-year-old woman to just take off is weird. She's reported missing um, and by 4.35 p.m., a missing persons alert is released by police. The next day, Navajo police start looking for Ella. They start around her house, which the Navajo Times describes as one of the most remote areas on the reservation. It's far from the main road with no markings for where to turn. And people often get lost just trying to find her house. And so from there, the search expands, leading to other states even. Mm -hmm. on, Ju on June 20th, Ella's disappearance is listed as a homicide and her case is transferred to the FBI, but her family wasn't notified of this change. They had to find out about it on social media. Oh, my God. And of course, her family's upset with the Navajo Police Department for not providing updates and not bringing in enough help and allege they don't have the proper training to find Ella and her family starts conducting their own searches and following leads. As of this recording, Ella and her truck are still missing. However, a 21-year-old man has been named a person of interest, and he's been arrested on unrelated charges in the meantime. And it's not clear, you know, you can't find any information as to how he's connected to Ella. Hmm. So Ella's family is unhappy with the Navajo police, of course, but Chief Philip Francisco says his department did all they could before the case was transferred to the FBI he says many people are quick to say outside departments should help the Navajo police investigate, but all departments are understaffed and underfunded. He says there's also a major lack of support from the Navajo Nation Council. For example, when it came time for funding, he asked about buying a helicopter to help with missing persons cases. Um, it was verified that the department needed a helicopter and that they met the funding guidelines. But when $714 million worth of funding was released... 
the Navajo police only received money for hazard pay, which Francisco had already been paying with other funds. He says the council did give him money for personal protective equipment, but that was after he'd already figured out a different way to pay for them. So there's just a lot of juggling going on. Hmm. Along with budget issues, there are ongoing struggles that continue the pattern of structural violence against indigenous people. This includes lack of emergency services, Amber Alerts, counseling and family services. There's also a lack of overall community awareness and education. And to make matters worse, there's poor communication between federal, state, county, city authorities and tribal authorities. Um, there is some positive news in order to help alleviate some of these struggles in October 2020, what's known as Savannah's Act became public law. It's also known as the hashtag MMIW Act, and it, quote, aims to improve tribal access to federal crime information databases and create standardized protocols for responding to cases of missing and murdered Native American women. The act was nicknamed after 22-year-old Fargo, North Dakota resident Savannah LaFontaine Greywind, who was a member of the Spirit Lake Sioux Tribe who was murdered in August 2017. The act will clarify responsibilities between agencies responding to cases of missing or murdered indigenous people, increase coordination and communication between agencies, and give tribal governments resources and information that's necessary to respond to cases of missing or murdered indigenous people, and will increase the collection of data related to missing or murdered indigenous people. There's also a big issue about how indigenous women are entered into the system because a lot of times they're mislabeled as Hispanic or white. So these numbers aren't able to correctly be processed. Mm -hmm. So, of course, this is a huge problem. There's, you know, it's very slow moving, any kind of solution. Uh, but there is hope that Savannah's Law and the MMU can help speed them up. And there are many ways people can help missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. You can attend vigils, sign petitions, reach out to lawmakers, join social media campaigns like the We Care MMIWG. You can educate yourself through organizations like the National Indigenous Women's Resource Center, that's from the U.S., and the Native Women's Association of Canada. Both offer extensive education materials as well as options to donate. And there's also a documentary called Sisters Rising about this this issue. The documentary is by Willow O'Farrell and Brad Heck. And that is just a couple of the many, many cases of missing and murdered indigenous women that are not getting enough press and media coverage. Great job. Thank you. I mean, we've known we, since basically since we've started this podcast, this is one of the things that our listeners have talked about and that is a major concern, especially when we tour up in Canada. Yeah. It's a, a thing that people who follow true crime are, are very aware of. Yes. But it is, you know, I think more and more people are starting to talk about it more in the mainstream, even if it's just the story of how these numbers are, the, the discrepancy is so high and it's so, it's so, um, imbalance yeah and that that has to change yeah like the white woman's syndrome is real and true and needs to be uh, you know the only case is getting extensive coverage in the media which you know they need it too of course but it's these blonde pretty white women and those are the ones who get these crazy media blitzes and meanwhile right. not a single word is said about you know all these cases that happen all the fucking time so yeah 
So to do our little part to help, Karen and I are donating $10,000 to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women USA organization, whose number one mission is to bring the missing home and help the families of the murdered cope and support them through the process of grief. So you can check them out on MMIWUSA.org. And if you by chance have any money, which we know lots of people are strapped these days and it's really hard. But even if you give like five, ten dollars, just um, something to kind of acknowledge that you realize what a huge problem this is, you know, that has to change. Like people just have to start putting their energy toward figuring out how to change it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. Thank you. What a great way to commemorate Indigenous Peoples Day. Thank you. It's really important. Yeah. I feel like it's like the very literal least I can do. So. Yeah. But I think sometimes if that's the mindset you have toward it, it's also easy to just go and doing nothing doesn't matter. Right. So I think this is like one of those topics that's a, a tipping point where it's like, it really has to change. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's great to talk about it and it's not the least you could do. It's like you put together a series of really good stories and a bunch of information that a lot of people would not have known and wouldn't be aware of. And I think it doesn't have to, everything doesn't have to feel like this, how it feels on social media where it's people shaking their finger and saying you're wrong or you didn't know. It's like, no, it's about spreading awareness Mm -hmm. and spreading action. If there's any action that you could possibly take. Yeah. And becoming educated on it and not denying it when someone, someone brings it up too. Yeah. Don't not getting defensive or like to me, we all observed in the Gabby Petito case what intense attention and like and not just like local. It was just like immediately every major network. Yes. And we we can see that now. Yeah. There's no denying yeah. it. There's a certain kind of woman that that will garner that attention every right. time. We all know it and we've seen it. And I thought it was so in, incredibly generous when her father spoke after she her mm-hmm. remains were found and sh- and he basically said that that there are other people that should be getting this kind of attention yeah and they don't like what in that time what an incredibly noble and beautiful thing to say and acknowledge because it's not saying it doesn't take anything away right. people clearly cared about yeah. her going missing and yeah. we can care there we have the capacity to care for many more people yeah let's spread this around instead of focusing on a one person yep that's really amazing why do i always remember lyrics to songs karen that i haven't heard for years but i always forget my email passwords i know right it's like our brains only want us to retain useless information but with one password that problem solved one password is an award-winning password manager that's trusted by families and large-scale companies alike if you're tired of being the person that everyone texts for a streaming login hand that honor to one password they let you share logins with people and with groups with one password you can securely switch between any device type or operating system. That means if you're a family or business that uses both Mac and PC, you won't have trouble sharing your private data. Don't let the name fool you. 1Password does more than just store passwords. It can autofill usernames, payment details, and personal information. And they notify you about potential data breaches. For business operations, 1Password has a dedicated support team that will integrate its security tools into your existing workflow. 1Password saves everyone time. And we all know that time saved equals money 
saved. Your accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. 1Password was named Wirecutter's best password manager. And companies like Salesforce and IBM trust 1Password to secure their most sensitive information. So you can too. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash MFM. That's two free weeks at 1, as in the number 1, Password.com slash MFM. 1Password.com slash MFM. Goodbye. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Okay, I'm going to take us in a different direction. Okay, let's do it. I didn't tie this to anything um, except for wonderment, weirdness, mystery, (laughs) and, you know, spooky Halloween, like weird type of shit. I'm on board for all of those things. Okay, then I'm going to tell you the fascinating and mysterious case of Larry Bader. Okay. All right. I'm not, I'm not going to read the names of these articles, but I'll just tell you okay. and I'll, I'll read them at the end. Okay. So there is a Life Magazine article by a journalist named Chris Wells. There is a Mental Floss article by a journalist named Jake Rawson. There's a, um, an article in the newspaper, The Dispatch by journalist David Smothers. And of course, Wikipedia's Mm. wonderful Lawrence Joseph Bader Wikipedia page. Okay, so I'll read those article names after. But let me tell you, this starts on the morning of May 15th, 1957. So 30-year-old Lawrence Joseph Bader, everyone calls him Larry, Mm -hmm. he's a kitchen cookware salesman in Akron, Ohio, and he's leaving to go on a business trip. He has to go meet with someone about some bad checks that he's received. Uh -uh. Uh huh. So he's going to go see a man about a bad check. So he tells his wife, Mary Lou, that after he gets his business taken care of, that he might stop off for a quick fishing trip on Lake Erie on his way home. Um, Larry loves fishing. He also loves archery. And so any chance he has, he will take to do either one. Sure. Right. And Mary Lou, uh, who's at home taking care of their three children <laughs> while she's five months pregnant. Oh suggests that maybe Larry just come right home after the business trip and he responds maybe I will and maybe I won't sounds like a catch Uh, right that's the kind of man you want the life partner you want with you Mm -hmm. through the tough times okay so he takes his suitcase and his fishing gear packs his car and um, 
It leaves for the drive from Akron to Cleveland around noon. So on his way up north, he cashes a check for $400 huh. and strangely pays some bills. Huh. I guess back then you had to do it in person, right? So he's just like, I'm going to be near the what? what are gas they company the or milk, whatever. The milk store. So I'm going I'm to drop off three quarters at the milk store yeah. okay. for the milkman. You know, the milkman. The milkman. Our next door neighbors used to get their milk delivered in the 80s. Well, you know, when I moved into this house that was built in 1940, there was a milk door to the Mm -hmm. outside, remember? Oh, yeah. Very cool. Milk used to, guys, (laughs) teens, milk used to be a big deal. Everyone drank it. it. The the big milk, you know, they, they convinced us that smoke cigarettes and drink milk and you'll live to be 100. Just take a quick puff, down some milk. Yep. You'll be fine. Two martini lunch. Everyone's happy. And then a glass of milk when you get back to the office. Okay, so so Larry's paying his bills and, you know, taking care of business. Sure. And one of those bills is an installment on his life insurance policy. Okay. Will this come up again? I wonder. Probably not. No, don't. You've got to believe. Okay, so once he arrives in Cleveland, he handles his business. Then he heads over to a place called your favorite place, Eddie's Boathouse. Sure. Which is a boat rental facility that's on the banks of the Rocky River, right where it feeds into Lake Erie. Gorgeous. Gorgeous this time of year. You love that spot. Yeah. So... I looked up on Cleveland.com what the weather was on May 15th, 1957. Damn, researcher. I mean, it's fun. I don't know. I just love to put things into the Google bar and see what comes up. Listen, here at My Favorite Murder, one thing we can promise you is that this is a weather podcast. And we will always will report that weather, whether it's today or in 57 in Akron. That's right. In the future, in the past, we'll tell you the weather. (laughs) We don't care. We want to talk about it. That's right. The wind has died down a bit. Just listener. Good to know. Okay. So on Cleveland.com, it said that May 15th, 1957, the high was 79 and the low was 43. How does that happen in one day? I think it's because that's how they do spring. Like It's still snowing in April. Okay. And then they're just coming out of it and things are getting cracking at the beginning of May. But okay. So probably by the water, it's a little colder than... Well, this is it's Cleveland, so it's not the weather at at Eddie's Boathouse. I'm sorry. It's just. (laughs) Well, I want Eddie's Boathouse's weather. (laughs) What did it say on that little thermometer with the flowers that they have on the wall? I looked up Eddie's diary. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so. okay, so basically on this day, the mid afternoon skies are cloudy. Mm. And so the guy that owns Eddie's Boathouse, his name is Lawrence Kotler, and he warns Larry. This is Lawrence Warning, Larry. Larry. That a, a storm's coming. Larry, a storm's a brewing. Larry, it's me, Lance. You have to listen now. Listen up now. <laughs> a storm's a brewing. So Lake Erie's is apparently a shallow lake that can be tough to navigate. And so a storm would make the waters incredibly dangerous. Then it's all chopped up and crazy out there. Larry doesn't care. So he plans on being back before the it's dark and he tells Lawrence that he's confident he can handle the water until he gets back. Um, Lawrence cannot convince him otherwise. So he rents Larry a 14 foot motor fishing boat that ha- also has two oars. And then before he leaves, Larry asks for a set of lights to be put on the boat. And Lawrence is confused because Larry said he was going to come back before dark. Um, 
which is four hours away. Mm -hmm. But Larry insists upon getting the lights. So Lawrence is like, whatever, bro, you're a pain in my ass. Get the fuck out of here. He sets him up. It's like, I warned you as many times as I could. Due diligence, done. Fuck off. Done. He wiped it. Lawrence wiped his hands. (laughs) He fixed his ascot and he went back to the counter to help the next person. Mm -hmm. So a while later, it's close to sunset and the winds begin to kick up as Lawrence foretold (laughs) (laughs) as was foretold as was foretold farmer's almanac yeah so then a member of the coast guard sees larry out on the water and he calls out to him offering some help to get him to navigate back to shore but larry dismisses him and continues on larry let me give you a hand no go fuck yourself That's Larry to the Coast Guard. What a How dare dick. you? Yeah. How about thank you for your service every yeah. once in a while, Larry? That's right, Larry. Okay, so the next morning, May 16th, Larry's rental boat is found uh, in Lakewood, Ohio's Perkins Beach, mm. on Lakewood, Ohio's Perkins Beach. Mm-hmm. This is five miles down the shore from Eddie's boathouse. And um, there's minor damage to the boat. It has a scratched hull. It has a bent motor propeller. It's missing an oar. But other than that, there's no sign that the boat capsized. Hmm. The life jackets are still on board, as is Larry's fishing gear. But the gas can's empty and the suitcase is gone. And Larry is nowhere to be found. Larry. So as soon as this empty boat is discovered, of course, his wife, Mary Lou, is notified. Mm -hmm. And they start to search for Larry. The Coast Guard, they circle Lake Erie and the surrounding shores for two months. Whoa. Straight. Um, yeah, two months, hoping to find him either alive or dead. Um, he never turns up. Authorities don't hold out much hope. They know that those choppy waters make it virtually impossible to survive for a few hours, let alone days or months without a life jacket. Yeah being in the water. So the two months search turns up no leads. And in 1960, Mary Lou Bader's petition to have Larry legally declared dead is made official. Okay. So now it's eight years later. Okay. Um, February 2nd. Well, not from, from the, from when this happened, not from when Mary Lou's thing became official. I just did the math (laughs) from when this happened. So eight years later, from when Larry disappears. Okay. It's February 2nd, 1965. And an old Bader family acquaintance is at a sporting goods convention in Chicago, Illinois. Mm. And he sees something he cannot believe. Yeah. A man who looks just like his old friend, Larry, except for this man has a mustache and an eye patch. <laughs> but under, but aside from that, he's like, that's fucking Larry. That's the, like, that's your fucking what's it called disguise yeah do you remember that little puppet thing that you could this is so 70s that you might be too young for it but it was a little guy that you could put disguises on his head so it was like he was bald oh mr potato head no (laughs) yeah 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 i remember mr potato head yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. all potatoes are bald karen (laughs) no this this guy was a little evil looking guy. It was no. almost like he was a villain. You can make him all different kinds of villains. So there was like a monocle you could stick in front of one of his eyes and a mustache. I love it. Goatee. You could snap hair like Beatles hair onto his you head. You should beat him for Halloween. That's a great idea. Isn't it? Okay. Did you find it? No. Hold on. Steven, did you find it? Is it Hugo? Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Hugo, man of a thousand Show pieces. Georgia that picture. 
Oh, he's scary. Oh, my God. That is the most terrifying doll I've ever seen in my life. Look at those disguises. <laughs> wow. It looks like he's from Star Trek. And yes, and he's going to he, kill you and your entire family because he has a blue tunic, right? Yes, he has a blue tunic. Oh, my God. OK, that is so the this is, most terrifying fucking doll I've ever seen in my life. Isn't that hilarious? Yes. It's like, give this to your nephew. Yeah. Have nightmares Merry for the rest of your life. OK, so. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this friend of the family looks across the room and a guy who was declared dead no. f- uh, five years before is st- he thinks is standing across the sporting goods, yeah. uh, whatever you call it, <laughs> conference sure. convention. Yeah. Hugo. That is a nightmare. <laughs> that is a nightmare. This what a perfect example of what the 70s were yes, like for children. Totally. Hugo is that in a nutshell. Yeah. We'll, we'll post the picture for everybody. So the acquaintance is looking across. He sees a ghost. He's, He's Hugo. Out. Uh-huh. It's Hugo. Mostly the main reason that this guy is positive it's Larry Bader is because he's standing at an archery booth at yeah. this sports sporting goods convention. Very incognito, Larry. And very incognito, but everyone knew he loved fishing yeah. and he loved archery. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, oh yeah, you're standing right there, yeah. the place you love. So this old acquaintance runs and calls Larry's niece, 21-year-old Suzanne Pika or Pika. He swears up and down that he's seen Larry at this convention and he tells Suzanne to come to Chicago right away to see it for herself, which I live for. I live for <laughs> you, you ring, ring. Yeah. Pick up the phone. I think I can. I think I'm seeing your dead uncle at this thing. Drive to Chicago right now. Yeah. Isn't that the most exciting? Drop everything. Like yes. come and do do a stakeout with me a at bag. a sporting goods convention. Just I'll come. Follow him now. Just get it's your ass here. here. Yeah. It's this, and it's the and it's the mid '60s. So there's no cell phones. No. This is all payphone shit that they're doing. How about for your next birthday? You have to wait by the home phone. I call you okay. and set up an like a fucking get your like we'll do a stakeout. Maybe I could do like a treasure hunt for you. Like all planned yeah, out. Yeah, but I don't want to do any of that kitty bullshit where it's fake. I need you to find a relative that I think is dead. <laughs> this is the key. It, it, it's literally it's me calling you and just being like, you know, your uncle that your you grandma lost she, eight years ago. Your grandma's 110 now. So my grandma died. And she, yeah. She loves archery. And she's right here come <laughs> watching her do it. And I'm like, in her house go. And I get there and you're oh like, I was lying. And, and she's like, no, honey, I have an eye patch. It's not, it's not me. <laughs> okay. So she does it. She drops everything. <laughs> oh, I just wrote, I wrote, drop everything and drive to Chicago so we can spy on a one-eyed ghost archer. Um, Did I tell okay. you I got an archery kit during COVID? Did you really? I think so. You must have told me. Okay. But, I mean, did you use it? Not yet. Do you want to talk about it? That's why I think I got it, but I'm not positive because there's a lot of weird <laughs> shit in the garage that I like bought late night on Amazon. It was just like, I'm going to get into this now. And I, one of them is I got a punching bag. I got, I think I got an archery kit, oh, all sorts of things. It's been a weird. All sorts of stuff from camp. Um, <laughs> I pl- I did archery at camp every year. They were big into archery at the camp. Yes, I went to Camp too. St. Andrews. Yeah. And it was super fun. And I was kind of good at it. I like liked it. Yeah. I, I got it's it rad. a little bit. It's fun. Okay. I'll set I'll set it up for next time. You're over here. Be careful. I, I they're probably um like nerf 
<laughs> archery, <laughs> I'm going to get. You have to figure out how many Ambien you were on when yes, you ordered exactly. it. <laughs> what level of Ambien was it? <laughs> okay, so... Suzanne's stunned to get the call. And of course, as I wrote, probably stoked and feels alive for the first time in years. <laughs> so she does it. She makes the trip. She, they track down this. Yes. The one, the mustachioed patch eye man. She is convinced it's her uncle, Larry She's Bader. sure of it. She walks right up to him and says, pardon me, but aren't you my uncle, Larry, <gasps> who disappeared eight years ago? And the man laughs, says his name is not Larry and that he isn't anyone's uncle. Uh-huh. Now, uh, and my comment on this is, I absolutely agree with his approach. If someone walks up to you and is like, oh, I'm sorry, aren't you Georgia Hardstock? No, I'm not. Sorry. Even with You me? must be mistaken. Okay. Nope. Nev- From never now admit on. it real time. You don't know what those people want. <laughs> they could be serving you with a summons. They could be like, you owe me $50. Get away. You deny, deny, deny. But pull down your eye patch, okay. get to a secure location, figure out what these people want. I feel like you and I would be really easy to serve with the summons because all you have to do is send over like a tattooed librarian girl <laughs> with a cat. And I'm like, are you Karen? Are you Georgia? Yeah. You think it's a murder, you know? And they're like, you've been served. Or you, if you came over with like three balloons, I'd be like, oh my God, <laughs> yes, those are for me. Balloons. It's that easy balloons. to trick Karen. This my favorite. A dead uncle or balloons. That's balloons. How easy Either way. I know what living good is all about. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Stakeouts and balloons. Okay. So this man introduce, introduces himself to Suzanne and he says that his name is Fritz Johnson and that he's a sports director at local TV station in Omaha, Nebraska. So Suzanne isn't buying it. So she runs, she calls her dad and her uncle, who are Larry's brothers. They fly out to Chicago to confront this man as well. Damn. In mid-60s, they have to like call up Pan Am on a rotary phone. You have to get dressed up. Like you can't just... You have to get so dressed up. Yeah. Oh, my mom used to get so mad. She would see me in a sweatsuit oh, yeah. leaving for the airport. She'd be like, you're not wearing that on the plane. <laughs> like, yeah, on Southwest. Yes, I am. Yeah, mom. Mom. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> no one cares about anything. This anymore. is how the fucking the fucking flight attendants are dressed. They have jean shorts on. Like, what do you yes. want? Put your girdle away, ma'am. It's over. OK. Uh, 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 OK. So the brothers go and. So basically, the family confronts him. Uh, uh-huh. Sorry, I wrote so much extra bullshit. So are they like <laughs> are they like holding him hostage right now while the family gets no, no, on a plane and shit? I think it sounds to me like they're milling about the sports conference because he's at he is the demonstrator at the archery. Oh, okay, all right. That's why he's at the sporting goods thing. Got so it. they're just kind of like I think staring from afar, running to the old payphone, which is actually a whole booth, but inside a building, yeah. right? Yeah, a bank of payphones. Yeah, yeah. People are flying, but they're but they're also it's from Ohio, so I don't think it's the craziest okay. distance, right. right? Yeah, Ohio to Chicago. What's that? Nine hours? <laughs> couldn't, um, couldn't be more than nine. Okay, so. Okay, Fritz keeps his cool. No matter how many times Suzanne or Larry Bader's brothers confront him with the fact that they know for a fact it's him, Larry Bader, this man argues, no, I am Fritz Johnson. After a long back and forth, Larry's brothers ask Fritz to go with them to the police station to get him fingerprinted. Uh Uh-oh. 
because Larry Bader was in the Navy. So they know that they'll be able to access Larry's old prints and compare them to Mm. Fritz's fingerprints from now. Okay. Fritz agrees. They all go down to the local precinct. And the next day, it takes a full day. The next day, Fritz gets a call from the police station. The results are in. And it turns out the fingerprints are a match. Fritz, Larry, Johnson, Bader, one guy. Dude, why would he go? Why would he be like, yeah, 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 I'll meet you guys there. Screeches off. Why would he go? Yes. Put that on your whiteboard. It's there. Because that's a question to to consider and remember. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about Larry Bader just a little bit. He was born and raised in Akron, Ohio. Run-of-the-mill boy. He loved the outdoors. He wants to be a dentist like his father when he's growing up, but then he gets into school. He can't get good grades or doesn't get good grades. Wait, he's a real boy? Larry Bader? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Fritz. Sorry, take that out. Go on. (laughs) He's a real boy. (laughs) I thought you were telling me Yes, I'm about to tell you the story of Pinocchio. <laughs> okay, leave that in because that was classic. <laughs> no, this is we're talking about Larry Bader, the guy that went on the fishing trip Got while it. he did some business on the way. To I'm here Cleveland. now. I'm here now okay. with you. So we're just giving a little background on that guy to, to kind of like fill in the blank. Beautiful. So he wants to be a dentist, can't get the grades. So instead, he drops out of high school. He joins the Navy when he's 17 years old in 1944, serves 18 months. When he gets out, he gets his GED. He enrolls in Akron University in 46, and he gets a job at a hamburger stand on campus so he can make ends meet while he's going to college. Mm-hmm. But again, his grades are bad, so he ends up flunking out in one semester. Larry, Woo-hoo! I've been there, Larry. We've lived at Larry. Yeah. He keeps working at the hamburger stand, though, and uh, while working there, he meets a student named Mary Lou Knapp. They start dating and they get married on April 19th, 1952. So Larry and Mary Lou have three kids, um, Mary Lawrence Jr. and Stephen, and the family settles into a nice neighborhood uh, in Akron called West Hills. On a hamburger flipper salary? That's how you could do it back then, kids. For real. I mean, we were all living off the fat of the land. Yeah. When your boomer grandparents tell you to fucking pull up your bootstraps, kick them with those boots. Don't kick your your grandparents. Please don't kick your grandparents. That's crazy. Also, do you have boomer grandparents? I guess they do. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was quite a time. But but that was actually his problem. They moved into this nice neighborhood. But he didn't have the money to actually live there. So now he needs it. He has to get a new job. So he starts working as a cookware salesman for the Reynolds Metal Corporation. Okay. I believe the people who brought you Reynolds wrap, but I'm not sure. Well, that would make Uh, sense. It's a guess. One of Larry's friends describes him as red-blooded, beer-drinking, all-around nice guy who could talk your ear off and you'd love to sit and listen to him. Oh, your dad. Right? For real. (laughs) But this friend makes a point to say that although Larry, of course, likes fun, but he isn't wild. He's definitely a family man. Okay. So even with Larry's slight pay increase, he's falling behind on bills. Their mortgage is $17,000. Seems like There's a lot a fourth, back then. Yeah, huge, huge amount yeah. back then. Fourth kid on the way. Um, and then, of course, he's got this huge life insurance plan that so he can't like he makes $10,000 a year. So he can't cover expenses. Oh. And that makes it all the more suspicious that he would use what little money that he has to raise that life insurance plan yeah. to $40,000 of, 
a year or $40,000 payout. Right. Um, with a double indemnity clause in case of accidental death. Oh, honey. Shortly before. And he does that shortly before he leaves for that business. Yeah. Job. Right. Okay. So now let's talk about Fritz Johnson. Fritz Johnson, on the other hand, is the life of the party. So this guy shows up on May 18th, 1957 at the Roundtable Bar in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and just so you know what we're talking about, that's 740 miles west of Rocky River, which is where Larry was last seen. Wow. Okay. But he shows up there three days after Larry's disappearance. Okay. And Fritz Johnson is wearing a sport coat and a jacket, which is similar to the outfit Larry had on the last day, the last time he was well, seen. I feel like every man back then, that's what they, that was, you slept <laughs> in Very that. true. <laughs> it was your pajamas. Was he wearing a fedora and a blazer and a tie? <laughs> oh, yes, that guy. And penny I loafers? Saw, Definitely. I saw 1,000 of him on the street. Okay, so... But he also was carrying a suitcase and a Navy bag and a bartender's guide. And he had come to the roundtable bar looking for a job. He introduced himself to the owner, Mike Ch Chiodo, as Fritz Johnson. He flashes his Navy ID to confirm it mm -hmm. and explains huh. that he was recently discharged from the Navy after a 14-year stint uh, because of a back injury. And that st stint included tours in World War II and in the Korean War. So Fritz explains that he took time to travel after getting out of the Navy, but now he's staying down at the Farnham Hotel near the bus station and he needs a job. Um, he has prior experience bartending at clubs while he was in the Navy and he believes he'll be a good fit at the round table bar. So he gets the job and he quickly makes friends with the locals. When he's asked about his odd name, Fritz explains he was an orphan in Boston and he was one of 22 boys at an orphanage. They were all named John Johnson, which is Fritz's actual legal name. What? But they all were called different nicknames. So depending on who you ask, the nickname Fritz was either given to him at the orphanage because he reminded everyone of a character from the um, 20s comic strip Cats and Jammer Kids. So there's a character named Fritz. Okay. Um, others were told that he got that name uh, from his fellow naval officers because of his short haircut that made him look like a German soldier. But either way, Fritz is so committed to being called Fritz that he lists himself as Fritz on all of his bills and he signs his checks Fritz. Okay. <laughs> Just Fritz. Stick, like share. stick with it. Oh, sure. <laughs> and they also has a strange habit of dating his checks by season instead of the actual date. That doesn't so seem fall. Le legal. <laughs> No, it's, it does. And also it's like, I remember when I very first came to LA and got a, a checking account, I got Simpsons checks. Oh. I just thought that was cool. <laughs> nice. And then after using them for a couple months and feeling like a, in t just a humongous dork every <laughs> single time I was seen with my Simpsons checks, yeah. I realized, and that's what Fritz needed to realize, you... Writing a check is the last place where you need to be expressing your personality. <laughs> the The person at the gas company doesn't give a shit that I like the Simpsons. It doesn't matter. Okay, so so when Fritz isn't bartending, he moonlights at the local radio station, KBON, um, where he learns about recording equipment and he practices broadcasting. And within two years, he's hired as a disc jockey 
on KBON. Um, and then he earns local celebrity status. So everyone knows who Fritz is because he's he's a DJ at the local radio he station. He sounds completely opposite of that guy, Larry, who was kind of a fuddy-duddy. Yes. Who worked for Reynolds Rep. Right. Right. Exactly. That guy's just like struggling to make ends meet. Yeah. And Fritz is like, I'm I'm out and about and like man about going, town. grabbing life by the tail. Yeah. So we'll listen to this. It's even be- it gets better. He his popularity grows even more after he sits in a box perched on top of a 50 foot flagpole for 15 days to raise awareness for the station's polio charity drive. Oh, the front of this box reads Fritz on KBON on the pole for polio. Oh, I was going to call him stupid until I realized it was for a good cause. It's a it's for a great cause. And uh, every <laughs> then they invented the vaccine for polio. <laughs> and you everyone's and I, like, great. A vaccine. All right, That's well, great. That prevents disease. We're going to we're going to volunteer Stephen to do this same thing for COVID vaccine. So get up there. Okay, so his friends swing by the pole. They hoist up martinis and milk bottles for him. And (laughs) when he finally comes down. Uh (laughs) Wait, there's some martinis and milk. Were you kidding? No, that's literally what happened. We were just talking about martinis and milk. I know. That's weird. But this, it sounds to me like they used milk bottles, but they poured martinis in. There was no milk involved. Gross. Unless they didn't rinse them. Ew. Remember on Laverne and Shirley when Laverne would make a Pepsi and milk? <laughs> no, that's disgusting. It's so gross. That show is so funny. Oh, God. Okay. So basically, his friends make sure that he's feeling no pain while he sits up in a box, right. raising awareness for polio. And then when he finally comes down, he's whisked away in a convertible full of beautiful women for a celebratory parade. Sounds so Fritz, great. Is, he's living large. Yeah. Then... He transitions from radio to TV. So he takes a job as the sports director for the local TV station, Mm -hmm. KETV. Fritz, much like Larry Bader, has a deep love for archery. He competes and wins several regional championships in and around Omaha. And he's hired by a Nebraska archery supply company to attend the sporting convention in Chicago to demonstrate and promote their equipment. So that's how he ended up at that convention you think he'd be lying a little low right well you'd think but you'd think. i bet there's more to the story i'm gonna go ahead and go out on a limb and get oh so, hello mister there's his photo that's, oh that's him being a handsome like a tv guy oh he's old-timey handsome yeah uh, he, pencil thin mustache oh, pencil thin mustache Okay, so Fritz settles into his popularity and his bachelor status lifestyle. He has an apartment that he furnishes with nothing but pillows and cushions. Oh, tacky. <laughs> Swinging Ew. 60s, baby. Leisure suit Larry over here. He's like, uh, would you like to lay down anywhere in this front room? <laughs> Take a seat huh? anywhere you'd like. These nasty he- pillows. He <laughs> he uses the apartment for wild champagne parties. Okay. Um, and he also buys himself an old hearse from an undertaker <laughs> in Kansas for 150 bucks, which he outfits. Here's this is even creepier oh, no. with pillows, a bar, an incense burner, and dubs it his hunting vehicle. Ew! Uh, <laughs> ew! You nasty Fritz. <laughs> Is it, do you remember his pencil thin mustache? Oh, I hate it now. 
He um he also sports often sports a leather beret. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Fucking Fritz. Fritz. God damn Calm it. Calm down okay, so with your eye patch, Fritz. He's going he Fritz is going for it. He's, yeah. That's that's one thing you can say about Fritz. You know, there are people that like they go to leave the house and then they go and they grab a jaunty leather beret and they're like, This is it. Tonight's the night. <laughs> this is who I am. This is what I do. Deal with it. This I want people to see me. Yeah. I want them to know who I am. I've got my milk jug full of fucking martini and I'm ready to party. I'm going to jump in that hearse. <laughs> I'm a hunt. Dog will hunt. Ew. Yuck. <clears throat> Everyone is so charmed. By uh-huh. <laughs> Sounds real fucking charming. It was easier back then to charm people. Charm was very, first of all, charm was only about men. Yeah. And it was just, uh, it was also called lechery. Lechery. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, he's, he's so charming. When he writes a check, it says fall of 1962. Oh, that Brett's so quirky. Oh my God. He's so different and unique. I want to take off that leather beret and see what's underneath <laughs> it, Fritz. Okay, so he's basically, uh, he's known as a ladies' man. You know, I told you about the cushions. Sure, sure. Sorry, I, I lost my place and now I'm, I'm just kind of free, freestyling. I'm, I'm freestyling till I find it again. Okay. But it's more than his flamboyance that charms his friends in Oklahoma. In Omaha. Where are we? Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it's more than his flamboyance that charms his friends in Omaha. Okay. It's his persistent, fun-loving spirit and his willingness to always listen to a friend in need. One of these people later told Life magazine, the only times I ever saw him depressed were when his friends were in a jam. (laughs) There's also a certain rebellious spirit to Fritz's independence. He once told his friends, quote, all my life I've had people tell me what to do in the Navy, in the orphanage. Well, now I'm going to do what I like to do. That's right. You heard me. I'm Fritz Johnson, and I'm going to do what I want to do now. I'm going to audition for anti-mame. Okay, so Fritz, Fritz was declaring. He was declaring mm-hmm. him his, his freedoms. Mm-hmm. So his beloved bachelor life comes to an end in 1961 when he, he, he's going to do a thing that you will not see coming. He marries a 21-year-old model named Nancy Zimmer. Man! Nancy. Talk about unique. Talk about a different (laughs) type of man. What a rare bird. So Nancy has, this is actually very nice. She has a a four-year-old daughter from a previous relationship. Mm -hmm. Fritz adopts that baby. And later, Fritz and Nancy have a child of their own, a baby boy. Mm -hmm. So they have, they settle down to a nice little family. Okay. So in 1964, um, Fritz goes to the doctor and he gets some bad news. He has a malignant tumor that's developed, but behind one of his eyes, mm-hmm. he has to have the tumor removed, which saves his life, but he loses the eye. Oh, it's not just a disguise. Okay. No, it's, it's not just a Hugo situation. He actually needs the eye patch. Okay. I'll let Even him have still, it. I'll let him have it. Yeah. He gets to, he, he has earned it. Okay. But even still, he's quoted as saying that he's having a ball and he's never been happier in his whole life. Right. So when those fingerprints come back and the news hits that Fritz and Larry are the same guy, everyone's world is rocked, mm-hmm. especially Fritz Larry's. So by his account, he's got more than 30 years of memories as John Fritz Johnson. And he has absolutely no recollection whatsoever of being Larry Bader. Hmm. 
He later says, quote, it was like a shock. Up until that moment, I had no doubt that I was not Larry Bader. But when I heard that, it was like a door had slammed and somebody had hit me right in the face. Wait, so he's sticking with the story that he had no fucking clue. Yep. That he's lying. <laughs> well, I had no idea I was lying. Right. It's not a good. Here's the thing that I always am on the lookout for. Like that phrase, I had no idea I was not Larry Bader is a double negative. Yeah. That that actually doesn't make you seem very honest yeah. when you say yeah. it. What just say what you mean directly. Right. Okay. Is my advice to Fritz. Definitely. You can't hear me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we can though. It's worse news for the widow, Mary Lou Bader. Yeah who has thought this whole time she's gone through the grieving process. She learned how to function as a single mother with four kids. Um, then she believed she was a widow. She had been begun dating other men and she was, had just accepted a marriage proposal from her very serious boyfriend. But because Mary Lou is a devout Catholic, she can't divorce Larry. And so, she has to like she has to go back to her marriage that she thought was long over. I'm going to vote now on that. I'm going to go ahead and does my vote count right now? I think I mean, spiritually, it does okay. for sure. I'm going to say, Mary, go live your best life. Mary, your husband's a dud. It's also just not fair because she must have had her doubts that he that yeah. it was intentional yeah. or that. You know, that quote of maybe I'll come back and maybe I won't. Maybe she actually thought he did take his own life. You know, maybe she thought that. But I can't imagine back then thinking like he he skedaddled. You know what I mean? I mean, what did she think? What a horrible reality to then live in and just be like, well, I bet she didn't have that much time to consider it because she had to fucking raise four children alone. Yeah. 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 It's intense. Okay, so. She believes she has to break things off with her new fiance and honor her existing marriage. She ends up telling Life magazine, I just wish it wasn't true. We'd become adjusted. We'd adapted to and accepted his death. It was just, well, wrong that this had to happen. You're right. You're right. So meanwhile, Nancy, the young model, she vows to stick by Fritz regardless of the fact that their marriage is now null and void and regardless of the fact that his name is not Fritz. Mm. So these sticky familial matters aren't Larry slash Fritz's only problem. There's a matter of the social security payments that Mary Lou's been receiving since Larry's death, which has been $254 a month, as well as the $39,500 she's received from his life insurance policy, Uh-oh. almost all but $500 of it, um, which all of that has to get paid back Yikes. now that he's alive. That's on him, not on him. Mm-hmm. It should be. On top of that, you remember old Lawrence Kotler from uh, Eddie's Boat Ramp. Uh-huh. Well, he's the one that rented the motorboat back in 57, and he hears that Larry's actually alive, and he sues him for the cost of damages to his boat. Amen. Get yours. runs right up. That's, that's going to be $302. See you soon. Okay. Okay, Lawrence. Okay, so Fritz has managed to make a decent living for himself in Omaha, but Larry was deeply in debt. Uh oh. 
And now the IRS starts sifting through the financial mess that Larry has landed himself in. And they make another interesting discovery that Larry Bader didn't pay taxes from 1951 to 1957. So on top of all that other shit of being underwater with Mm. his mortgage and everything, Mm -hmm. this is my story. He didn't pay taxes for six years. Mm. So he had accrued tax uh, fees and liabilities uh, and probably a lien. Aye. So he was in serious debt that like that kind that's really hard to get back out of yeah. unless you have a windfall. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. Okay. So he basically was doing it to save money at the time. He was like not paying taxes, thinking he could pay off all his other stuff yeah. and then catch back up. Don't work like that. No, no, no. So now it's all coming back to bite him in the ass and he has to head back to Omaha and lawyer up. So the first thing Larry's lawyer does is send him to the hospital for psychological testing because it's possible that he was in a boat wreck and that, you know, if there was one that the he wrecked the boat during his fishing trip and he could have severe amnesia. It's also possible that whatever tumor that had been growing behind his eye could have affected his memory long before that tumor was big enough to be detected by doctors. Okay. Uh, Which does remind me of an episode of Law and Order SVU. Very disturbing, (laughs) very similar plot, and it's a real consideration. So if either of these possibilities are true, Larry can't be criminally charged for anything. But if it turns out he faked his own death to start a new life somewhere else with a clean um, financial slate, then he would be on the hook not only for fraud, but for bigamy. So what I think that's really fascinating, because why would you fake your own death in this boat accident Mm -hmm. and then go immediately do stuff that's that much in the public eye? Totally. It could be anything because this was a way back then, which is a thing we can't imagine anymore. Mm-hmm. You could actually escape and start over. Totally. This was pre everything. We're talking about yeah. like 50s and 60s yeah. where it, people did it. Yeah. They could do it and they did it a ton. Yeah. So that's definitely on the table. And it makes the most sense because of that financial shit. And but then at the same time, there's it It just doesn't make sense because you would do that and you would just go and like hide and live a yeah, peaceful life. Quiet, quiet little life. But the oh. idea that he was just like the big bachelor in town yeah. on TV. Mr. Pizzazz. Yeah, Mr. Pizzazz on the radio. It's like, yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make a ton of sense. OK, so a team of doctors examine him for 10 days and they run through a whole gamut of physical and mental tests. And at the end of it all, their findings are inconclusive. Uh-huh. They think there's a real possibility that Larry has no recollection of his former life at all. Although at the same time, they can't prove anything enough to prove that he isn't running a scam. Shit. So it's just inconclusive enough on both sides where they truly don't know what to think. So, of course, local news outlets pick up on this story because it's not just, oh, this fascinating human interest story. It's like the guy from local TV yeah. and the local radio show. Yeah. Like People know who he is. Um, he doesn't appear to them to be particularly upset about the ordeal. He's just confused and sort of amused. And he says that he, quote, never heard of this Bader man until the matter came up. And while he acknowledges that both he and Larry Bader do look similar and they love archery, he continues to maintain that he is John Fritz Johnson. But people back in Akron who knew Larry since he was a child are suspicious. Yeah. 
one childhood friend reported that Larry and all his siblings were spoiled and that they would go to daddy whenever they wanted money. So they never, so that Larry or his siblings never really developed any real work ethic. His college acquaintances blame his poor scholastic performance on that hamburger stand job he had, saying that he devoted all of his time to making a quick buck at the restaurant instead of playing the long game and focusing on school. And even his own father is quoted in Life magazine as saying, quote, I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about this that stinks. Oh, (laughs) his dad is ratting him out. No wonder he wanted to be someone else. Yeah, for real. That's so my dad, too. It's like, I don't know. I don't buy it. You're like, like, Dad, my arm was cut off. See? Dad, please don't talk to the press about my thing. Okay, so mounting debt um, that Larry's facing certainly doesn't help the situation. One of his old neighbors believes that Larry, quote, wanted to be a high liver and a swinger, end quote, which is something you can't really achieve with a wife, kids, and crushing debt. Plus, Akron isn't exactly an open town as... Oh, it's not as open in Akron as it is in Omaha. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know how it is. Although, remember how cool Omaha was yes. when we um, toured there? I did like it's it. A, it's a truly cool town. It is very cool. I bet it has been for a long time. So basically, all of Fritz's various stunts, like the hearse and the champagne parties and, of course, the leather beret, mm-hmm. they'd be frowned upon in Akron. He would never be yeah. able to do any of those things. So there is the possibility he just went and started over, started the new life he really wanted. OK, so Fritz always keeps his story consistent. There's no proof that he was running a scam. There's no charges that are ever filed against Fritz Johnson or Larry Bader. In fact, his doctors recommended that he try not to access any of his former memories as Larry Bader because the very act of trying to remember could cause him severe psychological damage. <laughs> Come on. You right. Ju- you just rest your pretty little head and keep up with this fucking bullshit. Please rest your pencil thin mustache <laughs> on this little block of wood and take it easy. <laughs> Fritz, lay down on one of your many cushions. Oh, Fritz. When pressed by reporters about this matter, Larry says, my God, don't you understand? All of a sudden, I find out that 30 years of my life never happened. You see, I really do have 30 years of memories as Fritz Johnson. What am I supposed to do with those 30 years? Throw them out the door? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, that doesn't that quote kind of in and of itself makes me go. I don't know. I don't know. I'm on the fence, though. Yeah. So even though there's no legal recourse for Larry, his life as Fritz is over as he knew it. Unsure of what to do with the bizarre double life or amnesia due to eye tumor situation, station KETV drops him as their sports director. Mm. He gets the only job he can as a bartender, but now he's only earning $100 a week. Half of that goes to Mary Lou to support the four kids that he has with her. Another 20 goes to Nancy to support to support the two kids he has with her, Mm. he's left with $30 a week for himself. He can't afford a a regular apartment. He moves into the YMCA in Omaha. Um, So this total unraveling of his life becomes too much for Nancy. So she takes the kids and leaves. And she tells one reporter, I just don't know what to think. Oh, sucks. So Mary Lou does her best to dodge reporters and she tries to process this crazy development in her life. Mm -hmm. But in August of 1965, she agrees to take the kids to meet up with Larry in Chicago to try to hash things out. 
They have a cordial conversation. No matter how much Mary Lou tries to jog his memory, Larry maintains that he has no memory whatsoever of their life together. Wow. So. Jesus Christ. Right? So Mary Lou actually is hopeful that Larry as Fritz will come around. Mm. And then I just wrote in all caps, girl, literally anyone else in the greater Akron area. (laughs) There's plenty to choose from. Um, But the next year, 1966, Mary Lou's hopes are dashed when the same cancer that took Larry's eye returns and Larry Bader or Fritz Johnson dies on September 16th, 1966. They hold two services for him. One is for Fritz at the First Methodist Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And then the next day, the body is buried at the Bader family plot at the Holy Cross Cemetery in Akron, Ohio. Oh, my God. Fritz and Larry are conclusively gone, but the mystery of whether Larry Bader had amnesia or just ran away from his old life and abandoned his family to become Fritz Johnson will never be definitively solved. And I'll just read you this article titles, The Man with Two Wives, Amnesia or Hopes by Chris (laughs) Wells for Life Magazine. Uh The Man Who Forgot Himself, How Presumed Dead Lawrence Bader Invented a New Life by Jake Rawson, that's Mental Floss, and The Strange Case of John Fritz Johnson, which is the David Smothers article from the Dispatch newspaper. And that that's the story of Joseph Bader. I had no... Larry Joseph Bader. I... I want to call bullshit 100%, but that tumor gives me a little squeak of doubt. But just the tiny. Yes. Otherwise, I tiny. think he's bull- the biggest fucking bullshitter ever. Or it's like, what if it is some strange combination of like all of those things? Like he wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. Things were going badly. Blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah. Like he just it's a little bit of this the way he normally had thought before he had this tumor. Yeah, like I want it'd be interesting if we knew anything about the human brain. Because <laughs> there's, you know, it's like there's different areas yeah. where you're like short term and long term memory yeah. are held. So if there's a possibility that that wherever your long term memory is was somehow being pressed by that yeah. tumor or interfered with in some way. Wow. Tumor scientists, email us at my favorite murder at Gmail and let us know. Tumor scientists, quick Q. Q and A. Is it too, too much of a, too much? Yeah. What if I then submit my x-rays to the tumor scientists? <laughs> um, no, but I was going to say, is it too much of a coincidence that the debt, it's not like he walked away from just a plain old right. regular life. Well, maybe that the was stress just- exacerbated something. Mm-hmm. We want to hear stories of, of, personality changing tumors essentially i mean that yeah it's fascinating and i i just also think it's weird because he was so famous yeah like it's it's such a it's just like such a fascinating story that i would have thought i would have heard totally before now totally yeah very interesting yeah great job thank you i was a twisty turny i want answers I want a Hugo doll <laughs> all for myself. I wish I could erase that from my mind <laughs> with the tumor. My mind. I wish I could have amnesia about ever seeing Hugo. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you H- do that? Hugo will come to you at night yeah. and he will make you pay for That's this That's the comments. problem. 
about so many people. So wait, aside from the brain doctors, yeah. are there brain doctors that can tell us the kind of damage Hugo did to young boys in <laughs> 1975? To the psyche of children. Oh, and how about God Mr. Potato damn. Head while we're at it? Are we throwing him and Mrs. Potato Head right under the bus with it? I think so. I I wonder. I mean, I feel like that that Mr. Potato Head was like the watered down version of yes. Hugo where they're like, yeah, children are crying and they're <laughs> they feel like, you know, they're have, seeing visions. Why don't we just get a potato? Yeah. You know, what's neutral is a fucking yeah. potato. <laughs> it's <laughs> neutral. It's a nice start. Let's just we'll call it a potato head. Mr. Potato Head. Like, just throw it out there as soon as possible. Let's get those It'll kids. Great. Let's get those nightmares reversed. <laughs> I bet you in 75, if you put Mr. Potato Head and Hugo side by yeah. side and you said, make a bet, which one's going to make it? <laughs> which one will people still know about in 2021? I bet there some scientists could do a study that when Mr. Potato Head came out and, and Hugo was taken off the market, the children needing psychotherapy went down. It plummeted. It plummeted. <laughs> And so they were like, okay, well then we're just going to get this latchkey yep. kid thing going and that'll get us back up to where we need to be. Stranger, danger. Let's get it started. Let's go with that. Uh, All right. Cool. I think we did it. I think we did our job this week. I do too. Uh, we thank you guys for listening to our stories and our blabbering. And Yeah, our- that was a real... That was a that was a real highs and lows, but I <laughs> but I think um I think it was good. I think, I think that so was a good too. episode. I think that's what you can expect from my favorite murder. And if you don't know that by now, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, first, if you don't know that by now, welcome, welcome. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for tell your sister. Thank you for making you listen. Yeah, it's great wreck. Go ahead and slap your sister real hard on the back. <laughs> Pretend that you meant it in a friendly way. And then when she gets mad at you later, yeah. uh, like you don't know why she's mad. Shame her. Be like, why do you always overreact, Melissa? Melissa, you, since is, you were a kid. Melissa, this is not the last act of Macbeth. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Shut oh, her down every time. Every time. We have big sisters. Can you tell? And don't forget, I we, we mentioned this already, but it's so exciting to me. Our our brand new podcast hosted by Dave Holmes called Waiting for Impact, a Dave Holmes passion project. We are so proud of it. Mm-hmm. Everybody worked so hard for the last, you know, six, eight months. It's been amazing. Dave has done a beautiful job and you can go listen right now and you should because it's a really it's going to be a really good yeah. Really great listen. We have a podcast network. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And thank you so much for following and listening and hanging out with us. We adore y'all. And stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Yeah. Elvis, do you want a cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Hannah Kyle Crichton. Associate producer, Alejandra Keck. Engineer and mixer, Stephen Ray Morris. Researchers, Jay Elias and Haley Gray. Send us your hometowns and your fucking hoorays at myfavoritemurder at gmail.com. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. And for more information about this podcast, our live shows, merch, or to join the fan cult, go to myfavoritemurder.com. Rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs>